Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Several times, whenever we talk about foot washing and things of like that, but we're kind of, it's not just going to be the run of the mill of that type of scenario for us this evening. I want to teach tonight this, the foot of the cross. I'm playing on words a little bit, the foot of the cross, but the definition of foot that I'm really looking at is that which means a supporting part, the foot of the cross, the supporting part of the cross, but I'm also playing on the foot aspect uh, just a little, so. Amen. Let's pray tonight. Father, we love you. God, I need you, Jesus, in this place. God, we need you, Lord, in this house. God, we're thankful, Lord, for those who have gathered together today. God, and offered up praise and worship. Hands raised, clapped. Lord Jesus is given. I pray, oh, Lord, bless them, Lord, in their endeavors. Enlighten our minds tonight. God, as we turn our attention again, Lord Jesus, to this book and to your word. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. And the church say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Use your imagination just here for a moment. Imagine with me for a moment that it is your last night on earth or close to perhaps being your last night on earth. And as far as you know, life for you is going to end. So ask yourself this question. What would you do? And let's just put it in these. Let's just. Assume for a moment that everybody's just right with God, okay? Because well, someone, I would pray and I would. Now let's just assume for a moment that everybody's right with God. What would you do? I'm not asking for a beat, I'm just letting you kind of mull that over in your mind for a moment. For Jesus, it was washing the feet of his disciples. I bet that wasn't on your list. I bet you can't beat that one, can you? I mean, he knows that. Death is imminent, it's close, it's here, it's going to happen. And it's like, you know, the last thing, that one of the last things I should really do before I die is just, you know, gather all the boys together and wash their feet. <laughs> I mean, you talk about, want to talk about some lofty aspirations there, you know, for the close of life. This is the way my mind thinks, folks, I'm just saying. But what happened here in this moment, what Jesus did in this moment, was very relatable, very effective for his disciples because uh, 
He used something that was a custom of their culture, all right, to convey a very strong message and a very strong idea to his disciples. This was more, the foot washing act here in John 13 was more than just an act of love. It was in reality a demonstration on a smaller scale about what Jesus was doing and would do on a large scale in his life. He took, according to the scripture of John 13, Jesus took on a row lesser than his status. He's the master. He's the teacher. In our eyes, we know him to be God manifest in the flesh. But nonetheless, he took a role lesser than his status. The Bible teaches us here in these verses that he divested himself of one life, so to speak, in order to stoop and cleanse us, humanity, his disciples, of matters that they had collected on themselves in their daily lives. And whenever we receive, according to the scripture, when we receive even this act of foot washing, when they received this act that he had to offer them, then they became partners with him and they shared in who he was. And as a matter of fact, we'll look a little bit later, those of them that would to refuse uh, to have this would refuse to have partnership with him. They would refuse to have relationship with him. And so this is, in essence, the elevated view of the foot washing story. What it is, in essence, is the story of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout the gospel of John, we have seen at different times that there have been ideas shared in the gospel of John, and then there's been these discourses or explanations that come along and give a a reason, give explanation to the idea that's been shared. What I mean is this. For instance, in the book of John, we've already studied uh, where Jesus comes forward and he tells them quite plainly, I am the light of the world. And he has this uh, idea and concept of himself that he conveys to those that are in earshot of him and it's shortly thereafter then we read the whole story I might call it a discourse or explanation of the man who was born blind but was healed of his blindness given sight back that's to a degree trying to enlighten us and help our understanding about this concept of Jesus Christ truly being the light of the world and so in some respects John chapter number 13 is the explanation that's given first, all right? He's given us an explanation first, and then as the the chapters unfold concerning his death and his burial and his resurrection, uh, he's unfolding the idea of what he explained up front. He kind of does it differently up until this moment in time. He gives the idea, then he gives the explanation. But here there's a switch. It's as though he's given the explanation, and then the idea is going to unfold next. Because going forward from John 13, as I've said several times already since we've been here, going forward, everything is, is pointing to and supporting the crucifix. Everything is headed in that direction. All It's like drawing a, a perspective drawing. All the lines are coming to a point, and that point is the crucifix of Jesus Christ. Everything crescendos to the death of Christ. As a matter of fact, John 13 reports, in essence, what Christ's death looks like in their lives through a custom that they are familiar with, which is washing feet. 
It was a common thing if they wanted to show hospitality. And hospitality was a tremendous thing to the Jews. And uh, you were well thought of if you practiced it. Washing feet was a part of that hospitable, that hospitable custom. And so John 13 is a depicting, if you will, through foot washing, the, the death of Christ and how the spirit of what Jesus does and what Jesus will do is really an attainable pattern to follow even in our own lives. And we'll put these little, tie these strings together. Amen. It's in this setting that in Luke, the harmony of the Gospels gives a similar case of coming to Jesus' week of passion, that in Luke it describes that the disciples at this time leading into this are thinking and discussing among themselves which should be accounted as the greatest. Luke 22 and verse 24 bears this out. It says, and there also, there was also a strife among them, meaning the disciples, which of them, the disciples should be accounted the greatest. So with this as the background of the, the disciples jockeying around, thinking that one is going to receive accolades, if you will, greater than the other, one's going to be accounted more notable than the other. It's with this background then that we see God robed in flesh as Jesus Christ stoop down and wash some dirty feet of some humans, all right? So in the first few verses of this chapter, it gives us the mindset and the focus of Jesus. It kind of allows us to walk into the mind and the thinking of Jesus leading up to this time of washing feet, what his mind is absorbed with, what his thoughts are about. The Bible says plainly that Jesus knew that his crucifix was on the horizon, which for him, we look at, well, crucified, that's horrible, but for him, it was his glorification, right? And it was something, a high watermark, very tremendous for the life of Christ, amen. And so that was what was on his mind. That's what the first few verses tell us. That's what's on the mind of the Lord. He's turning his, his face toward Jerusalem. He's entered into Jerusalem. He knows what is to come. That is the mind of Jesus. And so what that does is help us frame, frame for us a motive to his madness of wanting to wash feet, right? Got just a few days and maybe a few hours left. I'm going to wash some feet of my disciples. Well, it gives us a motive why he may have done that. Because the focus for him now in his life has gotten a whole lot narrower. It, it was, you know, all of the Jews. It was Israel thinking about this broad span of people. But now it, it kind of hones in a little closer. And he primarily in these last days are going to focus upon his disciples. All of Israel has been in the crosshairs. But now he's focusing on his disciples. That's going to be a primary concern of his. The Bible says he loved his own. And that's speaking about those disciples that he taught along seashores and on mountains and in valleys and in ships and so on and so forth. He loved his own, particularly his disciples. And the Bible says he loved them unto the end. The end. Everybody say the end. The word end is the point aimed at as a goal. That's the way it's defined in the Greek. It is a point aimed at as a goal or a definitive limit. It is that by which a thing is finished. Whenever we oftentimes read this, or I'll speak for myself, that he'll love them to the end. I'm thinking, yeah, he's going to love him till he's going to love him till he dies. You know, that's what my mind goes to. But it's even more so that whenever we realize that his death was his goal. 
His death was his go. It was that definitive limit that he wanted to go to. He even said, I think it was in the last chapter that we studied, he said, what am I going to do? Because was, is not this hour the cause for which I came to the earth for? And so this is what he has come to. Plus, to love them unto the end, or said differently, to love them unto the finish makes a connection for us right here in the book of John. Because it will be some of those final hours of Christ on the cross in John 19, primarily verse number 30. He's spending all these hours on the cross and, and the crown of thorns has already been on his head and he's been affixed there and he's had hours of suffering and there's been darkness and all these things have taken place. And the Bible tells us that he gave up the ghost and what words did he say on the cross? The final words of Christ on the cross. It is finished. Almost bringing the little bookends, if you will, to this whole concept that he would love his own until the end or unto the finish. And then on Calvary, when he gave up that ghost, gave his life, committed his spirit into the hands of God, the Bible says he would say, it is finished. He loved his disciples unto the end. Because the full extent of Christ's love for his disciples is not just summed up in washing their feet, but what he does in washing their feet, and we'll put all this together, is really foreshadowing, foreshadowing to his ultimate sacrifice on the cross. The Bible tells us in John 15, 13, that greater love hath no man than this, because a lot of times we look at uh, foot washing, it's an act of love. It was, you know. Uh, it absolutely was. It has to be. <laughs> uh, but he even speaks to that effect, even in John chapter number 13, that it encircled around love. But the extent, the full extent of him loving his disciples to the end, it isn't just summed up in washing their feet. By no means. That was just an activity and a custom that foreshadowed the grand full extent of his love. The ultimate sacrifice of the cross of Calvary, of him laying down his life for his friends. Because doing foot washing here in John 13 for one another is just the tip of the iceberg, right? It's really bigger than that. This was just a small illustration of a bigger picture, really, in the book of John. They were to be willing eventually, Christ wanted them to be willing to sacrifice for one another. The Bible says, and I read this, and they probably don't have this, but I'm going to read it from uh, the New English translation called the Net Bible. You can read it from the King James. There's not, the, the, the differs just barely. I mean, and, and, and the concept is still there is what I'm getting at. First John 3.16, not John 3.16, but First John 3.16. We have come to know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Thus we ought to lay down our lives for our fellow Christians. I'll make a connection for you so you can start tracking with me here if you're not already. He said, this is how we know the love. Jesus laid down his life for us. We lay down our lives then for fellow Christians. Lay down his life for us. We see in the practice of foot washing that something that Jesus did is that he laid aside his garments. All right? We'll look at this a little bit more particularly here in a moment. He laid aside his garments. You've heard me teach, preach forever. A person's garment, Old Testament, New Testament. It wasn't just a piece of clothing from Ralph Lauren or something like that, okay? It wasn't something that you get every day in your mailbox because you ordered online. The garment was indicative of the person. 
The garment stood for what that person did in their life. That garment, in many essence, was a symbol of their life. So when he laid his garments down, that indicated who and what he served in life, in his earthly ministry, there was a laying aside of his identity, if you will, a laying aside of his life. Okay? So foot washing was really just an illustration of a much bigger picture that Jesus was doing. The epitome of, of sacrifice was really being demonstrated for his disciples was something that they could relate to. Foot washing. That was common to them. That was something that they practiced. Here was something that they had in their day. They knew that a wife, uh, it was proper for a wife to wash the feet of her husband. It was proper for children to wash the feet of their father. It was proper for a servant to wash the feet of its master. But no Jewish slave, no Jewish slave was even expected to wash a stranger's feet. It was customary. It was customary even for Jewish disciples, students that was, to not even wash their teacher's feet. It was typically regulated to the lowest of slaves of their day, their slave class, and that would have been a Gentile slave. They know all about this. And so as Jesus comes forward, and verse 13 says, you call me master and you call me Lord, and rightfully so. They call him master, they call him Lord. And the Bible says, yet with those distinguishable titles upon him, he washes their feet. What is that? That's abnormal. That's not what is customary. That is not what's normal. And the Bible says, this is the capstone for me in verse number three. Speaking of Jesus, telling us where his mind frame is. He's thinking about his crucifix. He's thinking about his pending death. And the Bible says that Jesus knew all things had been given into his hands. Amen. He knew that all power was his. He knew that all possessions was his. I mean, he is at the top of the food chain. He knows all things have been given into his hands. He knew who he was. He knew where he was headed. And yet he stoops to wash feet. He condescends. Here's the fact of the matter of the illustration of foot washing. Because Jesus knew that the people might not be able to wrap their minds around God becoming a man, all right, and then sacrificing his flesh to save the world. But they could relate to, maybe, a man of status being able to lay that part of himself aside to cleanse dirty feet. They're really a mirror of the two. Jesus, I'm going to lay down my garment. I'm going to clean feet. What is he trying to tell them? There's a bigger picture here. I'm going to lay down my life to clean your soul. I know you have a hard time maybe being able to relate to that, but you can relate to this. But as the lesser is, so is the greater. What you see taking place in this moment is something that's happening in a greater scheme because him doing what he did again a teacher, a master washing feet, that's unheard of. It wasn't a common practice, all right? It was, let me say it like this, it was needed because nobody in this meal gathering had washed anybody's feet. It was needed. It wasn't common, but it was needed. And Jesus in that moment became the solution. Fast forward to Calvary, it was unheard of of a man dying for somebody 
He usually died because of something he did. It was unheard of. wasn't a common practice. But it was needed because nobody else could do it. Amen. And so what happens? He becomes the solution. Amen. And so before Jesus disrobed, before he took and set those, set those garments aside, before he disrobed, the Bible says he also put on the towel of a servant to wash the feet. And notice, it says all this with the opening verses telling us how much he loved his disciples. So he really loves his disciples and it's following up with the fact then that he girded himself, he disrobed from his garments and he girded himself with a towel to wash feet. Now Jesus tied, he tied a towel around his waist which typically indicated a servant. He's going to wash feet which typically indicates the role of a servant. Now, concerning the towel, the net Bible says this, and you can read this in other places, the towel, it would have been a long piece of linen cloth, long enough for Jesus to have wrapped it around his waist and still used the free end to wipe the disciples' feet. So listen to me very carefully. What we're talking about here is a piece of linen that's wrapped around and tied around the waist in such a way that there's some free-flowing ends that he doesn't take off the towel in order to wipe their feet, but with the free-flowing ends that's attached, to his, that's attached to his body, he uses to wipe the feet of disciples. So he wipes. Yeah, he washes and wipes, but you know if anything that you clean, you're still going to get some dirt on. You understand what I'm saying? You get dirty feet, you wash it with water, there's still going to be particles of dirt when you go to wipe dry. You understand? So he wiped perhaps dirty feet, and this is important for us tonight, dirty feet with the towel that was around his waist. What Jesus wiped off them became a part of what was tethered to him. What was on his feet became a part of something that was a part of him tethered to him right now. He took their dirt on himself. You hear what I'm saying? This is just, foot washing became an illustration for something much grander. He took the dirt that was upon them on himself. Someone say, he took my dirt. Oh, yes. He took my dirt upon himself. And what this is doing for us in the scripture then is foreshadowing the approaching event of Calvary on Golgotha's hill where again on the grand scheme and picture of things he took our dirt upon himself. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 for he, speaking of God, or Christ, for he hath made him to be sin for us, God hath made Christ to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What? He, he, he made him to be sin for us. He didn't have anything to do with any of that until he came in contact with us. Right? And so he took what was on us and placed it upon him. First Peter 2.24 says, Who? His own self bear our sins in his own 
body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Again, he took our dirt upon him. Now earlier, whenever I shared with you 1 John three sixteen, and it talked about laying down his life, I said again, he laid aside his garments and laying aside his garments was laying aside his identity, hence his life. Now look at this. He did that. He did that in the, he did that in John 13. He laid he laid down. All right? If that jacket is supposed to label me as a pastor, then there it goes. All right? I just divested myself of my identity, in essence my life. Right? Okay. But then when you come to verse number 12, the Bible says and he had taken up his garments. That's after the feet were washed. After he took their dirt upon him, then he took up his garments. He took back his identity. He took back his life. All of that, folks, really parallels the sacrificial death that was to come so perfectly because Christ says, even at different places in Scripture, that he lays down his life and he can take it up again. The Bible says in John 10, verse 17, this is Jesus speaking, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. Look at verse 18. No man take it from me. Please understand, nobody took Jesus, in John 13, nobody took Jesus' outer garments from him and said, get that off you and get over here and wash our feet. No one. No one forced him to do this. But Jesus said, there's a need in this room. There's dirty feet all around here. Nobody's doing it. So I'm going to take off my garment and I'm going to tie a linen cloth around me and I'm going to wipe dirt off their feet and it's going to be attached to what's on me. And whenever it's all said and done, I'm going to pick up my garment again and my label, my authority, and my identity, and my life again because I have the power to lay it down and lift it back up. And that's exactly what happened on Calvary. He laid it aside, but in the garden on that early morn, he picked it When he picks it back up, know this, everybody's feet that would allow it are cleansed. No one made him take off those garments. No one had a, I guess it would be a gun to his head, but no one had a rod to his head. He's going to wash his feet. Just the same that nobody took his life. At Calvary, he gave up the ghost. Yes, ma'am. And he willingly laid it down, willingly took it up. No one made him do it. No one, no one helped him get back up. Amen. If anything, the Bible says that the, and this is just always against me. This is kind of one of those side notes. But the Bible says that the angel of the Lord was there with the stone rode away. Never says that Jesus rode away the stone. As though, if you read in scriptures, as though that the angel rode away the stone just to reveal what had already taken place. Because in reality, Jesus don't have to have a stone rode away in order to escape. If he could walk through a wall after his resurrection, he can walk through a stone. The purpose of the rolling away of the stone was for the testimony of what already happened. John 13, verse 6. 
So we have all this taking place. Then, <laughs> gotta love Peter, don't we? Then cometh he to Simon Peter. So he's washing feet here. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? What's Peter looking at here? This is not, this is not common. I know about foot washing. I know about hospitality. I know about all this stuff. But what we have in right here, a master student watching the disciples, students, this is, this is not common. What are you doing? Huh? You, you, dost thou wash my feet? Okay, let me read the text and then we'll teach. Okay. Jesus answered and said unto him, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. There's some things we don't understand that the Lord does in the moment, but we do later. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Now we got to understand here, John, John does this, has done it already a lot in his book. He has a lot of double meanings, deep meanings, spiritual meanings, literal meanings, physical meanings. He, he has stuff that he says that takes meanings on two different levels many times. All right. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only. Here's zealous Peter, if that's what you're talking about. Well, not my feet only. Here's my hands and my head and blah, 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 blah. Jesus said unto him, he that is washed, he's not saved to wash his feet, but is clean every whit and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments, there he is taking them again, and was set down again, he said unto them, know ye what I have done to you? Because he told them earlier, what I do now, you probably don't know. Do you know now? He says, you call me master, verse 13, and Lord, and ye say, wells, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye, ought, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Now, so feet are being washed, even Judas's. He's going around, washing feet. But the aha moment for Peter is when he realizes that the service or the act that his teacher, his Lord, his master is doing here is doing it for Peter's benefit. And so Peter's exclamation here about Jesus washing his feet because this is the teacher, this is the rabbi doing this. What, what are you doing? His exclamation here really isn't much different from all those that had their reasoning whenever Jesus came riding in on the donkey into Jerusalem when he's supposed to be a Messiah, supposed to be a man of war and vicious and all this. And they're like, what are you doing? You're coming in with peace? That's just kind of outside of the norm. It's no different than that. Jesus seeing Jesus stooping down and washing feet. It's just like this understanding. My master wash my feet, his disciples' feet. And again, here it is. Sometimes we don't understand what the Lord is doing when he's doing it, but we understand it later. Jesus said to him, what I do now, you know not, but you will know. Then in verse 12, he says, do you know what I've done? Then in verse 15, he says, I've given you an example to do likewise. Again, just stay here with me. Everything he's saying here really goes just a lot deeper than just washing feet. Because everything that took place in this setting, in John 13, follow me here. Everything that took place in this setting, 
depended on Jesus. Watch it. You can, you can start with, with like verse number four and just start tracing with me a little bit there. Jesus arose from the supper. He laid aside his garments. He took a towel. He girded himself with it. He poured the water. No one else is employed here. He washed the feet. He wiped the feet. He took back up his garments and he sat down. That's a whole lot of him doing something and not much of my involvement. Follow me here. The only thing the disciples had to do, you hearing me? Had to allow him to do what he desired to do for them. Peter says, never. The Lord says, if never, you're not a partner with me. He's done everything. He laid down the clothes. He wiped them. He poured his own water. He did everything. It was all on his shoulders. All it took was someone allowing him to do what he desired to do. So I'm with you. When you say Jesus paid it all, I'm with you. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I'm with you in all of that. But it has no effectiveness in your life unless you allow him to do it. Yeah, he did it all. He shed the blood. He took the stripes. He was pierced. He did it all. He went into the tomb. He, 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 he. But we got to allow him to do what he desires to do in our life. Everything that took place in this setting depended upon him. And so that's what Peter, that is what Peter didn't understand. And he would have never said, he would have never said, you never wash my feet if he did understand it. Because foot washing foreshadows something more or a severe act of self-humiliation for Jesus. Yeah, taking off the garment, that was humiliating. That was supposed to be a self-humiliation. But there was one of a higher level of him going to the cross, of God coming down as a man and forsaking his true life for the sake of humanity. That was an act of the ultimate self-humiliation. And if Peter did not want to accept what Jesus was trying to do for him, they wouldn't have a relationship. Jesus says there in verse number eight, that if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Listen, folks, that that's higher than foot washing. All right. It's not, Peter, if you don't let me wash my feet, then you get out of here. No, no. Jesus is speaking on another level right here. This is the way John does this all the time. Jesus does it. He's saying, if you don't allow me what needs to be done in your life by my self-humiliation, then you will have no part with me. The Living Bible says it like this. If I don't, you can't be my partner. The Jewish Bible says it like this. You can have nothing in common with me. That word part in the Greek means this. It means partnership. Having a share in someone or something. Peter had to accept the humiliating act of Jesus in washing his feet to have a partnership and a relationship with Jesus. But that's raised to a whole nother level because what that means is this. We must allow the actions of Jesus' self-sacrifice at Calvary, the laying down of his life, the taking up of his life to take place in our lives so that we might be cleansed and have partnership, a share in who he is. Someone say amen. 
What's that mean, Brother McGee? That means we got to allow the self-humiliation, the death, the burial, the resurrection. We got to allow the gospel to literally play out in our lives through repentance, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost to have partnership with him. If our word is never, he says, you have no part with me. He says, if you don't allow me to do this in your life, you have no part with me. Foot washing then is really the foot of the cross, the supporting means, the supporting beam, if you will, of the cross. Furthermore, furthermore, no, Jesus doesn't expect his disciples to wash other people's feet until they've come to a place and understood the depth and have experienced the work of him washing their own feet. You get this? Not like he's told Matthew, Matthew, get over there and wash John's feet. And Jesus had never washed Matthew's feet. He only commissioned them to wash one another's feet after they had allowed him into their space and allowed him to wash, God help me, their feet. When they understand the depth that me as a teacher is humiliating myself to a servant, but am cleansing them in this process and act, then they can go and be of some aid and help to somebody else. And until we understand the depth of a God of glory that created all things and spun you and I, even in this universe, into existence, that he would take upon the frailty form of a man and choose to go to a cross to let go of his life, to cleanse me, only then am I really put in a spot where I can be of any help to anybody else. It's only because of what he's done for us that we can even attempt to help, to do, to love one another. The Bible says in 1 John 4, verse number 19, we love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Verse 21, and this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. I love him, though. Because he first loved. How did he love you? Dirty boy. Dirt on me. I love him because he first. And if I love him, and I understand the depth of that love, and I've allowed that love to operate in my life, I can go from there and love somebody else. Amen. Because it's the foot of the cross. Not only is it amazing that, that he stooped to wash the feet of the one that he knew was betraying him, 
But consider this. The betrayer, Judas, could misinterpret this to a certain degree. Because he was receiving, although he was the betrayer, Sister Rhonda, he was receiving the same treatment that John and Bartholomew and Matthew was receiving. What was done for Judas was the same that was done for every individual that wasn't a betrayer. He could have got very, he could have totally misconstrued and misinterpreted some things. Because here I am doing what I'm doing. But I got the same treatment as Matthew. And that all comes down to this. It's dangerous to misinterpret the grace. The grace of God. Grace is a dangerous thing when it's misunderstood. He's, he's not saying you okay. He's saying that you all, regardless where you are, are in the same condition. You're all sinners. I know you look at your betrayal and you think that's really bad, but Matthew's got some things too that you're not privy to. You're all in the same basket. I think it's in Galatians or one of those chapters. The Bible spoke about how he basically declared that all of us were sinners. He declared that all of us were guilty. For what reason? So that he might save us all. He kind of shut us all up in the same category. So that he could just save us all. And so the Bible says there in verse number, verse 11, he says unto, unto Peter and actually all of them, it's in verse 10 rather, he says, and ye are clean. The ye there in the Greek is actually plural. Ye can be singular, can be plural, but here in this particular instance, it is plural. So when he says ye are clean, he's not just referencing Peter. He's referencing all the disciples except one, Judas. And so here is probably the, maybe the strongest illustration that in a figurative sense, there's a figurative sense to foot washing because he said not all are clean. Yet he washed all their feet. So here's the sense that we know that foot washing isn't just the literal mode. But there's also a figurative side to it. Because he cleaned all their feet, yet he said not all of them were clean. There's Judas. <laughs> Level of the spiritual. Same act was done for all of them. But on the level of the spirit, Judas didn't allow it. Then allow it to take place in his life. And so there, there is a cleansing. And Peter talks about cleansing. The Lord says, well, if you're bathed, then you don't have to be, you know, totally cleansed. Your feet suffice, so to speak. And uh, whenever they went to these festivals and particularly passed over, they would take this type of bath, a ritual bath. They'd make sure that they were clean. Whenever they got there, it just needed the washing of the feet. Uh, because, of course, their roads had quite a bit of inches of dust and dung. Dust and dung. <laughs> dust and dung on the feet as they travel. So they might have just cleaned up, but their feet's going to get dirty on the way, and they're traveling there. How many knows that there is still cleansing that happens even after your Holy Ghost experience? You may be totally cleansed, but how many know that sometimes we get caught with temptations and sins and other things that, as Paul says, he dies daily. There's a washing just by virtue of walking in this world, so to speak. Amen. That can happen through daily repentance. Let me even go a step further. That can happen through daily Bible reading. Oh, Holy Ghost. Daily Bible reading. 
The Bible says in John 15, 3, I ain't not going to read the whole thing. Jesus tells him later, he says, you are clean through the word. He tells him in Ephesians 5, 26, speaking of the church, this glorious church he's coming for, he said, is cleansed with the washing of the water by the word. So we might be clean, but we still need some washings of repentance. We still need some washings of his word to take place in our lives. Amen. Now, verse 17. I'm skipping around just here a little bit. Verse 17. If you know these things, happy are ye that do them. Happy is also the word blessed. When you see all the beatitudes that said blessed is this, blessed is that, it also interprets happy is this, happy is him that does this. Happy are the poor in spirit, so they shall, you know, so on and so forth. So, if you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. This is real simple, very elementary. Pick it up off the bottom shelf. The blessing is not in the knowing. The blessing is in the doing. The blessing is not in the knowledge. The blessing is in the application of the knowledge. Mm. It's in doing. Now, so the purpose and the action of this whole foot washing episode in John 13. My estimation is played out to a certain degree. In Philippians 2. And I'm going to close with this. Stand with me. I'm going to read about eight verses out of Philippians. And just look at this. Look at Philippians 2. The mind of the Apostle Paul. No doubt looking back at Calvary. Looking back at the events of the life of Christ. Looking back. Maybe if he really wanted to. All the way back. Even to John 13. Of this foot washing scenario. And please consider this. As I read Philippians 2. Consider these actions, this whole foot washing episode. Consider Jesus' life, everything that was played out, and see if we cannot track with some of this and the ebb and flow of it. Philippians 2, verse number 1. And I'm going to read slow. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, we could say partnership of the Spirit, any relationship of the Spirit, any part of the Spirit. If any bowels and mercies, verse 2, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Look at verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. So if it's not to be done like that, how's it, how's it supposed to happen? If you're not supposed to be coming riding in on the horse, how's it supposed to happen? The donkey? Huh? If others aren't supposed to wash your feet and you're the teacher, what are you supposed to do? Take that garment off and become the servant? But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Someone say, shoo. Because that's a verse we like to use a lot. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. But the context in which it is being spoken of is our servanthood to one another because of his servanthood towards us. Who, verse 6, that's a strong who, sorry, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, verse 7, watch this, but made himself of no reputation and took... Upon him the form of a servant. One garment comes off and a towel gets tied on. 
and was made in the likeness of men and being found in the likeness of man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Here it is. The big picture, the foot of the cross of the whole foot washing story and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So what was going on in foot washing was something they could relate to that might help them better understand as Peter did, not in the moment, but once Calvary had all taken place, what he didn't understand then, he would understand then. The same divesting, the same humbling, the same washing that he seen pictured in foot washing was being pictured in eternity. God coming down, taking care of the sins of the world. And if we'll allow him in, it's for us. He did it for all. Betrayer, denier. Good Matthew tax collector. <laughs> he did it for all. Man, it's very sobering to think about. If we embow our heads here this, this evening. God, I love you. Hallelujah, spirit. Lord, we need you tonight. God, I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, help me, God, to have my aha moment. In my walk in relationship with you, God, that true aha moment, God, that sees the Lord humility, Lord Jesus, of you coming down. God, the willingness, Lord Jesus, of you sacrificing. God, the willingness of taking upon yourself what was upon me, what is on you wasn't yours, it was mine. God, he who knew no sin became sin. Hallelujah, on my behalf, and he put back on his garment to rule and reign. He sits down, hallelujah, in the heavenlies because it is truly finished. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.